0: A podcast should sound like a conversation. It should sound natural. You know, if you're too worried about saying like too much, then it's not a natural conversation. Ergo, I like to see if I sound natural. No, but that like is different. That's not like as a as a as a filler word. Mm -hmm. I guess we'll have to Ah. judge. I'll I'll be counting the likes in this conversation. I need just let me get a pen real quick. All right. Um, Here, here's a pen. And I've got a little notebook here. Now I'm just gonna do see just look. tally. It. one of these yeah, I'm just gonna do one of these things whenever you say like I'm just gonna see that right there. There's one. A little there's see, a one. Even though you See can if say you can
1: it. tally it. See if you can tally it and and we're gonna come back to it at the end of the, <laughs> the podcast. I guess this is a cold open. This feels like a cold open, so I'm just gonna roll with it. Okay, welcome to Wizards After Dark. There we go. Welcome to Wizards After Dark. Uh we got an episode that uh, is apparently starting off on uh, a very strange foot. I'm Fred Katz. I'm your host. Uh, over over on the other side of the Zoom, I got my producer Andrew Schlecht. What's up, Fred? And uh, on a way in 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 the corner of the Zoom is former former uh, Wizards star. I, I'm a, you know what I'm not even going to say star of of Wizards blogging and Wizards Twitter. I'm just going to say uh, current star of 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 Wizards Twitter and uh former editor of NBA at SB Nation Mike
0: Prada how are you well i mean it's really weird not having a job and so the only thing you can be called is former or current star of twitter that's a little <laughs> little sad and depressing but uh thank you for com- thank you for having me on now mike is mike is doing
1: Mike, if uh, if you're not familiar with his work, if you're a Wizards fan and you're nerdy enough to listen to a niche Wizards podcast, then my guess is you're familiar with Mike's work. You're doing you're doing an awesome newsletter now, which I I strongly strongly encourage. Not Wizards related, NBA related. I strongly encourage NBA fans to sign up for that. It is so good. You are killing it with that. So I strongly advise any of the listeners who are big NBA fans to sign up to that. Thank you. Uh, and and you and you obviously do. Great work on, uh, or we're doing great work on on SB Nation, and we're we're just talking. We got we got actual news, guys. We got I like know. real real news to talk about. Bradley Bradley Beal did something or or didn't do something, I guess. Well, he he elected not to do something. Yes, exactly. But electing is doing something. So so he that's did. right. He did he did something. Uh, so Bradley Beal is not going to Orlando. That decision seemed like it was a little bit up in the air. Uh, so Beal said, what was it? We're recording this Wednesday afternoon. So Beal said nine days ago was the first time that he expressed publicly that he might not go. And he was kind of up in the air of whether he'll go, whether he'll not go. Nine days ago, seven days ago. It would have been Wednesday last week. So it's a week ago. There we go. My mm-hmm. timeline's there. I'm basically doesn't exist anymore. No, I've it doesn't. Decided. Yeah, nine days, seven days, whatever. It, cosmically, it's it's a rounding error, so it's fine. So, <laughs> so, uh, so. Bill said last week that he was thinking about it, and he talked about his conditioning, and then Tommy Shepard. Uh, came out on, or I say the Wizards made a release before Tommy Shepard did a press conference yesterday on Tuesday saying that Bradley Beal officially wasn't going. And they said it was because of a shoulder injury after they spent uh, the week talking about, spent the week talking about, his conditioning and all that, they said the injury is not serious. It won't require surgery, but it makes it not worth it for him to go down to Orlando with a 24 and 40 team with the improbable hopes of them making a playoff run just so they can get smashed by the Bucks in the first round. So Bradley Beal is out in Orlando. And like Mike, it's it's it seems like the natural decision to make, right?
0: I mean, it's so natural. You wonder why more stars aren't making that decision. Really? Uh, I guess everybody in the Nets kind of is by default, but I mean, why are you looking at all those teams in the Western Conference? I mean, why is Damian Lillard going? Why is Darren Fox going? Why is all these guys? So, I mean, I guess, does he really have a shoulder injury? I mean, I guess you can't really say yes or no for sure, but I suspect that it's not a very serious shoulder injury. And part of this is just what is the point of him going? Rather than, you know, we really are trying to protect him uh, from injury because, you know, we're not for that. I mean, why would so many of these other stars go? I guess it's sort of the real question um, to ask him, especially now that it appears he is not going to go down there and support the team, right? He's going to stay in D.C. Yeah, yeah. He's going
1: to stay in D.C. He's going to work out the practice facility in D.C., which is the right thing to do. Like, it's the same thing with John Wall. John Wall's not going. What's the point if the if the whole reason that you're doing a bubble is to make it so that people don't spread infection and to you know help against spreading coronavirus? Why are you bringing people who aren't going to participate down there? So if you're if you're injured, I don't like Oladipo says he wants to go. If you're injured, I don't even think like I think it should just kind of be. I don't know if you can make it a league rule because that seems a little bit too much, but it just seems to me that like someone like Victor Oladipo should, there's no reason for him to go like save against potential infection and spreading of the disease when you're, instead of bringing down the extra people who aren't going to participate, you know? So I, it makes perfect sense.
0: I mean, the problem though, then is like, I mean, I, I hate the slippery slope argument. I think it's usually bullshit, but I mean, at a certain point, is any of this really have any point um, given the coronavirus wow. stuff? I mean, a like, nihilist, I look, what, I'm talking about how there's no difference between
1: a week and nine days cosmically. And you're like, what's the point of life? Right. I mean, but it it, it is
0: a question that has to be asked. And I don't think a lot of people are asking because, you know, I'm sure Bradley Beal is banged up. I'm sure that if there was no, there was no COVID-19, they would probably be pretty cautious of playing him anyway down the stretch, uh, especially as they got knocked out. But, you know, eventually you get to a point where like, What's the point of the seventh place team's best player going? What's the point of the sixth place team? You know, what's the point of all of this? I think it's a question that we sort of have to ask ourselves all the way through. At what point do we say, yeah, this is, at what point do we not say like, yeah, this is a smart thing to do for this player who, you know, may or may not be slightly banged up and what's the point? Like, where does that, what's the point stop? I would, susp- I think we can all agree it stops somewhere higher than Bradley Beal, but where is that, mo- where is that spot? And if that spot is high enough, then what are we even doing here as a league?
1: Well, the point is money. That's yes. why they're coming back. The point is money. That's why when we, when people talk about, oh, look at the numbers in Florida, and the NBA says they're still going forward, it's because the point is money. That's the number one point. I, I'm not saying they don't care about keeping people healthy. They obviously care about keeping people healthy. For every obvious reason, but I, but we know the number one point is money. Because if you want to save against infection, you'll just lock. You'll make sure everybody locks themselves in their homes. You're not yeah. going to be playing this. So, so the point. The point is money. That's that's why they're coming back. Um, Bradley Beal, because he's out with an injury, by the way, still gets his money. Because if he had said I don't want to go, he wouldn't be getting his money. Then he would be one of the guys who who pulled out too late. He didn't have a pre existing condition or anything like that and pulled out after the deadline. And it would be fine. He would lose eight games of salary and he'd be fine. But he's still getting his money because they said uh because they said it's an injury. So Bradley Beal's fine. He's getting his money and he's 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 getting this extra time to to rehab and whatnot. I I I guess the injury has plagued him for a little bit. Tommy Shepard said he suffered it earlier, early in the year, and just kind of played throughout the year with a shoulder that struggled. He never missed the game because of anything. The wizard said was was a shoulder injury, but guys get banged up, so so I believe it. I I, I in terms of sitting guys out, I wouldn't. To be honest. Some people believe, like if you don't have a legitimate chance at a title, just sit your good players. Like, okay, Victor Oladipo is not going. Just sit Demontis Sabonis, sit Miles Turner. Just send him back. Now, I guess I understand that, but at the same point, I, I think you, I think in a situation like this, the best way to handle it is just leave it up to the individuals. Like, if Demontis Sabonis says to the Pacers, "I don't want to go," if Miles Turner says to the Pacers, "I don't want to go," then say, okay. That's fine. If I'm the Wizards and Bradley Beal says to me, and this is what the Wizards did, by the way, and I think it's the right way to play it. If I'm running the Wizards and Bradley Beal says to me, you know what, I really want to go, you don't have to play him 36 minutes a game. But I think you honor that with, with your best player. I think you respect your best player's decision because at some point, your best player does have to play basketball if he wants to play basketball. And if Bradley Beal sits, I think he wants to sit, I think you respect that decision too. You think you play him on a minutes limit if he wants to go? But but I, I I think the right answer, honestly, with this is just kind of leave it up to the individuals. And if the individual wants to go, then that's great, and you you encourage that, and you take all the necessary precautions,
0: right? Yeah, probably. I guess the the problem would be like what if fifteen players don't want to go, or something. I mean, then you get a lot of replace. <laughs> then you get a lot
1: of replacement players. I mean, look, yeah. if fifteen players don't want to go, they don't have to go. No one is is forcing them to go. They might feel peer pressure, but no one is actually forcing them to
0: go. Nobody is literally forcing them to go. But I mean, I think that there's so many social forces that encourage them to go. It is. I do find it interesting that a lot of players, maybe it's just a sample that has spoken. And I think Joel Embiid said this, you know, I've heard of a couple others who are saying, you know, I don't really want to go, but I know I have to go and do the, do what the right job. Um, I just think that's a, uh, I wonder how many players actually feel that way. And if it really was a matter of just, Oh yeah, it's totally your choice. You know, it can't really be that. Cause what if 60% of the league drops out? Um, you know, so in practice it's sort of a little more complicated, but I will say like, if this was like a totally normal, like sort of sporting situation, and I was thinking about this yesterday, and this, there is no like coronavirus issue, there is no bubble, there is no this, no that, whatever, this probably would be a good thing for the Wizards to have these few games to evaluate some of these other guys. They know what Bradley Beale can bring to the table. They know that their fundamental issue next year is going to be in a re, the reintegration of John Wall, and can he change his game or adapt a little bit so that him and Bradley Beal can fit in this new type of Bradley Beal as a player. The real question is, what do they got in these other guys? And so this is kind of a weird, in a totally normal sporting sense, which I don't think we can really count on now. It's a pretty good situation for them to be able to have these eight games to see what some of these guys can do, I would think.
1: Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's part of the reason why they're, I think it's probably the number one reason why their basketball people are excited they're still playing. They say they want to make the playoffs, and I believe they do want to make the playoffs because if they make the playoffs, it means their young guys started to play really well, which is a really good thing. So I I believe they want to make the playoffs, but I don't believe that they want to make the playoffs at all costs. I think they want to develop their young guys and and have the Ruiz and the Troy Browns and all those guys get better. And then if they get so much better that it takes them to a playoff spot, then I think they'll be really happy about that, even though it compromises their lottery positioning and and jumps them from ninth in lottery odds to picking fifteenth in the draft. I I'm curious to see which guys come back looking different. So I I had a conversation with. Long conversation about this with Scott Brooks, where, and I, I posted a piece about this on Tuesday before the Beal news dropped. But, but I actually think it's more relevant after the Beal news dropped because now we're looking at at these guys, these guys who are going to be leading the team. The only vet who is going to get playing time, in all no likelihood, is Ish Smith. The only other one is Jan Mahimi, I guess Shabazz Napier. And and those are like the the three guys who have like legitimate NBA experience who could potentially be in the rotation. Otherwise, you're talking about Rui and Bonga and Admiral Schofield and Garrison Matthews and Troy Brown and, and Mo Wagner and Thomas Bryant. These guys were basically 23 and under. And that is an incredibly young group. The Wizards were already one of the youngest teams in the league this year. They just got... Way younger. Like I bet you, if if you run through the the average age of the Orlando rosters, I bet you the Wizards have the youngest roster in Orlando. Like they 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 have to. Even their vets, like Shabazz I'm is like Memphis. 20. Maybe Memphis. Maybe Memphis. I guess that's a good but, one. But that's the only it's one, gotta one be, I can think it's of. Gotta, yeah, it's got to be close. Like yeah. And 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 so so I'm just curious to see like. I spoke to Scott, and Scott says to me, "You know, we, I want to see how Rui's uh, the arc on his jumper has changed, and and Troy Brown, he he wants this. He wants to specifically look at his quickness and his strength against contact and that kind of stuff. And, and and there are other things I want to look at too. If you had to say there's one one thing from one guy that would make you the most encouraged about the Wizards next year,
0: you have you have a thought on that?" I do, yes. And I mean, first of all, reading your interview, it felt like Scott Brooks was like, was right back in his wheelhouse, like he used to be with Oklahoma City. It's like, oh, I, my job is just to develop these guys. I don't have to worry about winning. This is like great. <laughs> they seem very comfortable with sort of this setup. I thought that was that exuded off the page. You know, it's interesting. I would say that the one thing I really want to see, and it, it, I think the most important player for the Wizards down there is Rui Hachimura. I think that. Seeing more arc under his three-point shot is good. I think that's something I would like to see. But the other thing I really am curious to see, because I think Ruri is a really important player for them in their future in terms of if Wall and Beal is the foundation of the team and whatever. I mean, they, they need that like sort of swings 3-4 type. That's a really important player to work for them. And I, I want to see if Rui can be that type of player that's sort of slightly undersized athletic 4 I'm kind of curious. I know John Wall said this on a broadcast uh, earlier this year, and I thought that was was really well said. Is he powering through contact? Is he trying to finish? Is he getting his hips through the defender and drawing fouls, or is he still settling for kind of those mid-range jumpers where his progress is impeded and he's sort of stepping back in that line drive? Because. That is, I think, the key to his development is that it's nice that he has a mid-range jumper, but he's never going to be an effective, efficient player unless, one, he can shoot the three better, which I think has been pretty well identified. But more importantly, too, whether he can kind of use that skill and athleticism to strengthen his core and get through guys to get to, to draw fouls, that's going to be really important. So that's what I'm going to be watching out for. Uh, In Orlando, because I think especially if you think about if he's catching the ball in isolation situations, which especially against switches, if he's catching the ball in the move in the pick and roll, that's the skill that he needs to have in order to be good at both of those things. And I I saw some inclinations that he's getting better. And I think Wall is right to identify that that's the thing he needs to improve on.
1: Yeah, no, I think John's really good on that stuff. He was great. When he did when he did uh, color on that broadcast, he was really good, and that yeah. was a really that was a really good point. And uh, I agree with you. Every, everybody concentrates so much. I do think the most important guy is Rui, because the Wizards think that Rui is the most important guy, which means the Wizards are considering part of his core, which means the Wizards are going to build around him. If the Wizards are going to build around him, not as the number one guy, but as probably the number three guy, at least the number four guy. With along with Wall and Beal and, and maybe Bert Hans is there if they if they bring him back, which they want to, then he has to be worthy of being a top-three guy on a team. And he was really good at pull-up mid-range shots this year, and he has NBA skills, but he also has a lot of flaws in his game. And people concentrate on the three-point shot because that's the obvious thing, and that's also the trendy thing in today's game. Uh, but But the problem with that is it ignores the other flaws, which I think might be more fixable in the immediate future, which as you talk about, like just getting to the rim and maybe being able to get to the free throw line more, he had stretches where he just wasn't able to get to the line. He says he put on muscle, but like everyone says they put on
0: muscle when they come back. Yeah. Where's the muscle he's putting on? That's the right question. But we also
1: see like, that's a thing that rookies struggle with, Right. Like there are rookies who are really bad at getting to the line and then they get better because that's a skill that can be improved. Um you talk about just his general reads of the game. Like he could be he could be so much better at making those natural passes within the offense. Not just like facilitating and getting direct assists, but just like noticing things more promptly. Even when he makes the right passes now, they're often a half a second late. And just noticing that a half a second earlier, or instead of every single time he does try to go to the rim and doesn't get by his guy, he has this habit of just kind of stopping, then lobbing it back out to his guard at the top of the key, who has to initiate new offense with eight seconds left on the shot clock. Maybe being able to make a play that doesn't necessarily start over the flow of the offense in those moments every once in a while. Things like that, I think would be great to look out for for him in Orlando as well, because they're, they're a statement on his feel improving. And if he's going to be a top three guy, and if he's going to be an offensive focused player, the feel has to be there, especially when he's going to have to be playing off of John Wall and playing off of Bradley Beal, which requires a lot of improvisation with those two guys specifically. So, So I think the feel stuff, honestly, is more important than just whether he has a three-point shot or not. I'm not saying the three-point shot isn't important. It obviously is. But if he starts to show feel, and being able to make those more intuitive plays within an offense, then I'm going to be like, okay, like this is, this is significant, you know? All right, fellas, Andrew, you're, you're a, you're a fella. I, I want to know if you're prepared to unveil your summer bod. I'm fully prepared, fully prepared. All right, I can we'll tell you the why. B- <laughs> The beaches are opening against all conventional wisdom. The beaches are somehow somehow opening. Uh, The sun is is shining. We don't know how much longer that's going to happen. And the bushes, they got to be tamed. So Manscaped is here to ensure that your post quarantine body, even though you should still very much be mid quarantine because we have way too many cases every day yeah is ready for the wild which uh please don't get wild for months and months and months i'll endorse manscaped but i'm not endorsing people going out and violating social distancing rules so manscaped is dedicated to helping you level up your full body grooming game they have forever changed the grooming game with their perfect you ever use the perfect package 3.0 i've
2: used it many times yes I do is, is
1: it Is it aptly named
2: Yeah it's great It's great I, The Huge fan of the ball deodorant <laughs> The ball deodorant Huge Huge fan The crop preserver The ball deodorant Yeah it's great It's all It's all It's all great Oh god Man <laughs> we, we
1: We We've been talking about Wizards ball movement For so long And now we've got to talk about Manscaped Have you Have right, you so used
2: the 3.0 the, the lawnmower Ah. I
1: can tell you exactly. I can tell you all about the 3.0. So, so the perfect package 3.0 kit comes with the essential lawnmower 3.0 waterproof cordless body trimmer. So I guess you can use it in the shower, and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine. It is the best trimmer on the market for those of you who need a chest shave. This third generation trimmer features skin-safe technology to reduce manscaping accidents. So it's third generation. So that means it's great-grandfather uh came over from from australia uh it's 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 been around for for a long time Uh, you can also adjust settings to a length that you like and you can stay on top of it with almost no effort at all that's what everybody wants to be hairless with no effort that's (laughs) it's exactly what that's exactly what your great-grandfather who came from australia wanted when he came to this country to make perfect package 3.0
2: I'll tell you, the, the 2.0 to the 3.0 jump is is big time. There's a, there's a light on this thing. Oh, light? There is. Oh, God.
1: That's horny. Who wants a light?
2: Hey. I don't want a better view. You, you say that and until you've tried it, and then you'll realize the, the errors that you've made in the past, and you won't have them anymore with the 3.0.
1: So you can subscribe to the perfect package and get a new blade refill on your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months for a limited time. Subscribers get two free gifts, which is the shed travel bag, a $39 value add and the uh, patented high performance reduced chafing Manscaped boxer briefs. Um, Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC. That's one word at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code THEATHLETIC, one word. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one but two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag, a $39 value, and the patented high-performance anti-chaping Manscaped Boxer Briefs. Go to manscaped.com today and use the code
0: THEATHLETIC. Yeah, I think in in a lot of ways it's actually all connected. I mean, one of the big differences between college and pro, and I think especially in Rui's case, is that in college you're playing on a much more compressed floor. You know, everybody's standing much closer to the hoop. Um, and he didn't really—I don't know what his three-point shooting in college was, but I don't think that that was really his game. You know, he he played a lot more closer to the basket in order for him to be the player that the Wizards need him to be. He's got to be able to play in a much more spread floor. I mean, that the NBA has. You, know, you think about sort of where everybody's set up. I mean, the the half court office now is basically is conducted between like thirty feet, thirty feet from the hoop and in. That's a lot of space. And in order to be successful at doing that, yeah, you have to improve your three point shot. But I think that's only a piece of improving your body and getting more cut up. Like I thought he was kind of in weird in a rookie doughy way, he looked kind of rookie doughy but at early parts of the year, and I think that explains a lot of why when he drives and he sort of reverse pivots and pulls out, it's because he doesn't have the body to get through all that. The other part of that is being able to have the economy and efficiency of movement in order to get to the rim and draw fouls. So I think it actually is kind of all related uh, in a way. You know, because if you can if you can make a three pointer, I mean, I think people underestimate the amount of body strength you need to shoot long threes, especially in your core. I mean, if you think about why the three-point line wasn't adopted for so long, I think a big part of it is that players weren't working on that part of their bodies. I mean, if, you, if you've if you ever shot a three-pointer, you know you have to do so much more with your legs from that distance. It looks so easy, but it's really not. So... I actually think that the same muscles that will make him a better three-point shooter can also make him a better driver and finisher. So it's kind of all connected and in turn will make it easier for him to feel like kind of what, what are his options on a more spread floor. Once you start to think as if he's now playing on a floor that's maybe 150% wider than what he ever played in college, I think his tra- his sort of development now makes a little more sense. So I remember
1: when the two of us would have been, what, 10 months ago or so. The two of us were on Nate Duncan's podcast for the Wizards season preview. And Nate brought up how he didn't think Troy Brown was good. And the two of us said, no, Troy Brown is going to be a a good, helpful player. He was good this year for a 20-year-old. He he showed some nice signs. He he's a guy who you can tell is gonna have the feel. I think he's gonna turn into a good team defender because I think he's he's smart and is already kind of showing signs of understanding it at age 20, which means that I think in three, four years he might he might really get it. He's not overpoweringly athletic, he's not overpoweringly strong. I don't think he's ever going to be a guy where you just put him on the other team's best perimeter player and you lock him down. But I think he's probably going to be a guy where you plug him into your offense, or you plug him into your defense, and whatever kind of style you like to play, he's going to find a way to contribute because he's going to be in the right spots and he's going to read the game well. And that's a really helpful player, especially if he's just like a bench player who's going to help you for 18 to 28 minutes, depending on the situation, depending on the night. Troy has things he has to work on. He has to he also has to get to the line more. He also has to get stronger. He also has to get moments where he's more assertive. He also has to work on his jump shot. I I Scott Brooks said he thinks he got way better, which is really really difficult to assert considering he's only seen him in one-on-zero. But I think part of the reason why he said that was because he says he's in much better shape. He thinks he got quicker. And I know that was a a, a big thing for Troy because he wants to be able to guard point guards. So he did a lot of work with like resistance bands and trying to build the muscles in the legs that got quicker. Scott Brooks says he looks a lot better. I mean, we'll how do see. Get <laughs> I don't I don't know. It's it's funny because like at the stop of this, at the top of this story, Scott has a quote. It's literally my second graph. And it's it's a really good quote, and it is totally true. Here's the quote from Scott. We don't know what to expect. Any coach that tells you different, I'd like to know how he knows. It's a great quote. And, and it's, that he
0: contradicts himself.
1: <laughs> yeah. Because, because it's like a human thing to do. You know, you see. I think it, but it also the reason I thought it was notable, to... though, the reason I thought it was notable is because Scott's not one to throw out blind compliments about Troy Brown.
2: He just doesn't no, do he's it not. that often. No. So that's why I was like,
1: I got there's something there.
2: I think this is kind of like yeah. when he would throw the ball to, they have uh, the Thunder throw the ball to Perk at the beginning of every game. Give Perk a little confidence before he's heading into uh, the rest of the game. It was the same thing for Troy Brown. Throw, throw you, know, the I, ball. I,
0: I, you laugh, but I wonder if there's something to the idea that this is a player that probably needs a confidence boost, maybe needs more of a carrot rather than a stick. And maybe Scott realized that Um, because, yeah, otherwise, you know, he is kind of contradicting himself. And I think you wonder why he's Scott's a smart guy. Like he's not just going to say that willy nilly. Um, It is what exactly one of the the challenges with Troy Brown is that I think most fans would say that his best position is probably like kind of a one slash two a combo guard. They like to see him on the ball more. They'd like to see him handle, but it does not seem like that is how he is being developed necessarily in part, because the two best players on the wizards, even though they're both not going to be there are ones and twos. So he's kind of being channeled a little more into a, a, the three uh, at this point, because they're kind of short on threes. And I understand why that's happening. And he's sort of like kind of a jacket of all trades, master of none. But I wonder if that is good or bad for his development. Ultimately, I think it will be interesting to say, because one of the things I sometimes worry about with him, and I think it's good that Scott said, get to the free throw line as sort of a clear emphasis is that there's a difference between shooting more and being aggressive. And I think it's very easy to listen and hear, I need to be more aggressive and think that that means I need to shoot the ball more. But really what you're looking for is more decisive decision-making, more decisive quick drives, and maybe sometimes not always going for the cerebral play, but going straight through for the, the aggressive play. I just wonder, it'll be interesting to see how much... Troy shoots the ball versus how many plays does he try to make? I think there is a important distinction that it's very easy for players like that to lose. I think it kind of happened with Otto Porter a little bit under Scott Brooks. And one reason I think along with health that Otto didn't necessarily grow into the player that I think he could have been in DC is that you had that sort of conflation of aggressive means I need to shoot the ball a lot, but it really actually means I need to drive the ball quick. Co- more decisively and in straighter lines. And so I'm kind of curious to see how that works out with Troy Brown, because we know that he has elements of his game that are cerebral, but if you're going to be an off-ball player, and even if you're going to be like kind of one of those like combo guard twos types, like, like a George Hill, not quite as good a shooter, you've got to be able to make quick, decisive attacks rather than attack, like kind of shooting the ball right away or surveying. So I think the interesting thing with Troy Brown and the reason
1: why I bring him up, him and Rui up is the first two guys. It's not just because I think they're the two most important young players. It's also because with no Beal there and obviously no Wall there, these are the guys who are going to be, I think, handling the most, like they are going to have the largest increase in the, in just the general offensive responsibilities they're going to have. Like, I don't think Ish Smith's offensive responsibilities are going to change that much, to be honest. And I don't think Shabazz Napier's are going to change that much. I think we're going to see Troy Brown facilitating and handling more. And I think we're going to see them hand more of the offense over to Rui. And something that both of these guys have to show. And, and this has to do with the point that you were talking about, about Troy playing off the ball versus on the ball. Right now, I feel confident saying that Troy Brown is at his best when he is handling the ball. I am not confident in saying that the Wizards offense is at its best when Troy Brown is handling the ball. And that is when you get when you get those two things that are out of whack. That's when you have either a player who's not a starter because he has to go against bench players, which is why I think Troy probably projects more as a bench player, because I think I could see a bench unit being its best when Troy has the ball. But that's when you get a guy who is better off playing with bench units because those two things don't match up. Or you get a guy who ends up being like a good stats, bad team guy. Troy, I think, projects more as like the helpful bench guy. With Rui, I'm curious to know, okay, can you, can you hand over the offense to him? I'm not saying for 48 minutes a night, but can you hand over the offense to him for stretches? Because if he's going to be a guy who says, I need the ball, my contributions is that when I have the ball, I'm able to score. Okay, but when you have the ball and you are trying to score and that's your number one objective, how does that reflect on the rest of the offense? Is the actual team offense still good when you get in that mode? Because if it's not, you have a problem. And I'm curious how the Wizards actually respond. And part of it is is just going to be like, Rui could have gotten great. He could have gotten way better, but there's just not enough talent around. And so the Wizards are still getting massively outscored when he's on the floor or when he's playing or the offense is bad when he's playing, whatever it is. So I'm not necessarily talking about the on-off numbers, more just the process of how those two guys go about go about their offense in Orlando because they're going to have more offensive responsibilities. And how they respond, it's only eight games. It's not going to be a telltale sign for the rest of their careers but it'll be really interesting to follow because how they respond to having large offensive loads is going to be an interesting way to analyze what's to come. You know, if the season ends up coming back in December.
0: Yeah. It's interesting because I, I think one of the nice weird luxuries of having two players like Ish and Shabazz right now uh, that maybe is not so evident when your team is better and you have all, uh your starters back in scoring is that you know those guys are gonna play the way they play. They're gonna dribble a lot, they're gonna try to make plays for themselves. And so I don't know if I totally agree that Ruri has to play that differently than he would normally play, but he has to do it in more space and with more precision and pace. He's got to be quicker with dribble handoffs and slips. He's got to make quicker, more decisive moves going straight. The same with Troy Brown. I don't think that they need to do stuff that is so far out of their comfort zone that it will be too difficult to do. I think that's the nice thing about having those two point guards who look, you're not going to, Smith is gonna dribble and push the ball no matter who his coach is. Shabazz Napier is gonna to try to get to his jump shot. He's gonna to try to get to those play tough defense in your face. He's gonna do what he is gonna do no matter who the coach is or what the offense is. You don't get you get those guys as sort of volume so volume possession holders. You know, more so they're kind of the innings eaters of the NBA in a way. That should hopefully free up Troy and Rui to play their games, but better, but it's going to be interesting to see how that, what their games are better actually looks like. Um, but you know, I, I, I do want to say one more thing too, About you said, those are the two most important young guys. And I think it's probably true because those are the two most recent first round picks and whatever. But I, you know, one of the, the wizard that I think may, the young wizard, I think may really change the trajectory of the team with this development, whether it's positive or negative, you're probably going to be surprised by who I say here. Yeah, yeah yeah let's hear it i want to i want to take I, I, think I think it's, I, I, yeah, I it's yeah, he's yeah yeah this is where i thought you were going go for I it think, let's talk i Bongo. think he's i think he's a yeah i think he's actually kind of a really important um player to their future because he's the one type of player that the wizards don't have anywhere else the sort of long athletic running wing that i mean you watch him sort of when he handles the ball on the break the grab and go type of moves he's got some real shake and skill and pa- and passing ability that is very uncommon. You know, he can't shoot a lick yet. He's still really skinny. But there is something there that could really plus the Wizards up in a way, particularly if Rui becomes a better shooter and scorer. He, he's the type of player that you could really plus the team up in a way that I think it was, un- if he's developed properly and if he gets these opportunities to kind of show off his game and isn't sort of channeled into too small a role. Like, I want to see him have the ball in his hands more, not necessarily Troy Brown, um, because I just want to see him get used to making some of those passing reads and be able to take the ball off the basket and charge. I think he's a pretty interesting player to develop. And if you have that type of player, that really changes the profile of your team, if you can be that type of guy. So I... I think that in some ways, he's almost the most important young Wizards player to develop just because of the type of player he could become. You know, and I, that may seem weird for people who are like, wait, Isak Bonga? Like, who's that? But I think anyone who watches the Wizards knows that there's something there that just needs to be cultivated.
1: Yeah, I like that take. Da- David Aldridge, my boss, David Aldridge, loves Bonga. He's incapable of texting about Bonga without doing it in all caps. He loves Bonga. <laughs> Bonga Bonga is really interesting because he's still like it's been two years and he he's still a lot more of a blank canvas than your average you know two year pro. He's he's still super raw. Like I still don't know if he's gonna shoot threes. Yeah, he made an okay percentage this year. He's taking less than one a game, so I'm throwing out the sample. He takes a super long time to load up on his three, which means. You can help off him all you want and you still have time to close out because he has a a slow release and he doesn't take them unless he's absolutely positively wide open. So I don't put any stock into the three point percentage because regardless of how many he's making, he's not a spacer right now, which is more important than being a three point maker. Uh, I don't know if he's going to be able to become a three-point shooter. I, I don't know if he's going to maintain quickness and be able to put on weight and strength and and thus be able to guard big wings like I know the Wizards hope he's able to do. They, they are optimistic about him. They think he's going to end up being a guy who can guard multiple positions and be a legitimately really good perimeter defender. I think one thing that Scott Brooks did really well with him is I like how this is just kind of becoming a refresher for people who haven't watched the Wizards in three and a half months. <laughs> uh, but I think one thing that Scott Brooks did really well with him is, and and Scott Brooks is has this trait which sometimes is a great coaching trait for him, and sometimes it ends up not being a good one. Um, this time it was good, which is that Brooks is he will kind of immediately identify a guy, and in an attempt to to help that guy progress, he will. Uh, he will wedge that guy into the role he thinks he should be in, and strongly encourage that guy to go into that role. Now, when Brooks identifies that role properly for that guy, it can do it can be great for that guy's development. I think that's what happened with Banga, who, like, when he came in, even at the start of this year, people were like, "Is he going to play point guard? Is he a six eight point guard? Is that a possibility? Is he a two? Is he a three? What is he?" And Brooks was like, nah, he's going to be a three and D wing if this thing works out. And I think he was absolutely correct. Where he's gotten it wrong is with like Thomas Sadoransky, where I think he misidentified Thomas Sadoransky. And I think that that hurt their situation with Thomas Adaransky. Uh But I think they identified Bonga right. If it's going to work, he's going to be three and D. John Wall compares him to Trevor Ariza. He says he thinks he's going to be like a Trevor Ariza type of player. Which I, I get I get why he sees that if if Bonga ends up becoming good that's that's probably what he is and maybe he can run the occasional pick and roll. I'm just like I'm a total bonga agnostic. I just I don't know I, I still feel like like I've watched every second of NBA basketball that guy has played this year and and I'm still like, yeah, I don't I don't really know.
0: And it's funny you say that. I, I One of the things I do worry about is if you channel someone too quickly into a role, there is an upside in that it sort of helps them get some structure. But there is a downside in that there is some uncertainty that the Wizards should be embracing with this player. Trevor Ariza does not handle the ball much. Trevor Ariza does not grab a rebound and push it, putting immediate pressure on the defense. Driving, making the two, doing your two euro steps, and then still spinning back to throw the ball back out to the perimeter. Trevor Ariza is a much better shooter, much more fundamental defender. There's a lot that Trevor Ariza does to make him a superstar in his role or hat did when he was with the Wizards and back with Houston. But I think it's good to kind of mirror Trevor Ariza. It's good to kind of look at that as like a guidepost, but it's not good to look at for him to be like, I have to play exactly like that. There's more to Banga than I think meets the eye. But it requires a little bit of embracing some uncertainty, embracing this period of development to try stuff out that I think is really very difficult for a lot of NBA organizations. But also the kind of thing... I mean, this will sound like a ridiculous comparison, and I'm not comparing the two exactly. But you think a lot about like what could have happened to Pascal Siakam in year one where it's like we're going to make Pascal Siakam into Trevor Ariza, right? And Siakam is a little bigger, but I think there's a similar like sort of vibe to try to channel them into a certain type of player. Maybe a better way of thinking about it is Pascal Siakam is like a light Draymond Green. But Toronto never really did that. They sort of let him grow at his own pace and his own way, picking up more and more things. To now we're at the point where Pascal Siakam is just passed Pascal Siakam. There is nothing like Pascal Siakam. And Pabonga is not going to be as good as Pascal Siakam, but he's the one player in the Wizards where if you say, you know what, instead of trying to totally make him into someone else, let's just sort of see what happens if we kind of let him be the best version of himself. It's the most difficult type of teaching and development, but I think there's actually quite a bit of payoff that could happen there. You know, I just, especially I see that guy being able to kind of tear rebounds down and go back at people like that's something that is like maybe thirty percent of the game, twenty five percent of the game. You would say like sort of the ability to push the ball off makes that's a pretty big percentage of the game. And if he could be one of the a great player empowered to do that, it totally changes the Wizards' dynamic. Now that Wall doesn't have to do that every single time himself, it just makes their fast break approach more deadly. I mean, one of the things that I think happened to Wall later in his career is and how the NBA has changed is that this is no longer a league where you grab the rebound and just automatically find your point guard to run the break. You know, and I think that was a tough adjustment for Wall, and will be a tough adjustment. But if Bonga is empowered a little bit more and shows he's got some sauce there, I mean, I think that could have a real impact. I know that seems crazy for Isaac Bonga to elevate him that way, but I just think his skill set is so unique that it would be a shame if he was limited too much in what the type of player he could be. Yeah. All right,
1: we got we got about three minutes before we have to wrap up, so I'm going to give you a three re-choice. minutes.
0: I'm Damn. gonna. Do.
1: Yeah. I'm going to give you a, a choice tight ship here. Hell yeah. We run a tight ship. We know what we're doing around here. I've, uh, <laughs> I'm going to give you a choice right now. So in this story, which you can check out on the athletic DC, by the way, and if you're not a subscriber to the athletic, you can subscribe for 40% off. If you go to the athletic.com slash wizards after dark again, that's the athletic.com slash wizards after dark for 40% off on an annual subscription it comes out to $36 for the year. Uh, You can read that full piece. We're not going to touch on every player in there because I don't want to give everything away. But the players that I named, pick one we can talk about for two minutes. Mo Wagner, Jerome Robinson, Thomas Bryant, and then some guys I didn't mention, Admiral Schofield and your boy Garrison Matthews. (laughs) Who Who is the most interesting person? Give me your most interesting observation that you have in the holster about one of those guys.
0: It's kind of been a weird loss here for Thomas Bryan, hasn't it? Yeah. You know, it, it seems like it's sort of an interest, important time for him to kind of get back on track uh, because he was developing so well and then he had injuries. And I think there's a lot of competition out of his position. And now you're sort of seeing that, like, the stuff – there's a lot he can learn from Yamahimi. Uh, but there's also another young guy there. I think it's an important eight-game proving ground for him to re. Position himself as a key member of the core. Uh, and I think you've identified exactly what he's got to get better at. You know, he's got to be a better defender. He's got to play with more of an even keel. He's got to be able to read the game. I think strength is another issue with him. Like you talk a lot about sort of the lack of rim protection he provides. Again, a lot of that is just chest, it's your core, it's your ability to move efficiently, it's your ability to slide, put your hands up, and actually be a deterrent. You know, that he needs to get better at. So I think it's actually going to be really important. I don't think that there's anything specific he has to show. I think he just needs to be regularly contributing one of the most important and best players they have there for eight games to really get him back on track. I think that's pretty important for him.
1: Yeah. And I, I think important, not just for him. I think what's important for him is also important for Mo Wagner because the Wizards want to go get a rim protector this offseason. Like They want to go find a way to get a rim protector, whether that means using the mid-level exception, whether that means finding a way to trade for one, whether that means they draft a guy who they just happen to feel like maybe they luck out in the lottery or something, and they take a guy and they're like, this guy is going to start right away. We're getting James Wiseman, and he is starting right away. Whatever it is, they would like to go get a rim protector this offseason. I believe they are going to do it. And I know that Scott Brooks tried to do it for about three weeks in February and March, where he played three centers in his rotation. Everybody played 16 minutes with Wagner and Brian Mahimi. But that did not work for a reason, and NBA players don't do that for a reason. And if you want to have a rim protector who is actually going to make a consequential difference to your defense, especially when you're going to be playing lineups that a lot of the times have Wall, Beal, Hachimura, and Bertans, none of whom is a lockdown defender, you are going to need a rim, rim protector and just generally good defensive center out there. Whether that means a guy who's swatting shots or a guy who's at the very least just a solid team defender who can defend the back ends of pick and rolls and is a good signal caller and is just going to kind of be in the right place to make up for many of the guys who won't necessarily be in the right place. So if they're going to go get that guy, There is a decent chance that guy is going to end up being their starting center this next year. And that's okay. But that means either Wagner or Bryant is expendable. I don't know which one. Probably going to depend on what each of them would bring back. And it might very well depend on what each of them shows in Orlando. I mean, Thomas Bryant had the stress fracture in his foot this year. And if his struggles this year were just the stress fracture in his foot, and now he's healthy and he's in better shape, he's going out there and you're like, man, Thomas Bryant, 22 years old, he looks a lot better. He is. He still shot 80% at the rim, you know, he's, 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 he's got skill, but you. I'll be interested to see what these guys show because it could make a difference in what they choose this off season. Um, Mike, anything to
0: plug before we, uh, before we wrap. I, uh, just put a piece up on five thirty eight on, you know, two players that, you know, it, it struck me as interesting that as recently as 20 years ago, 43, 4% of shots that were attempted from 19 feet or beyond were 2-pointers. And now it's like 9%. So I kind of imagine what would happen if you converted everybody's long twos into threes, who would benefit the most. And it was interesting to me that there are 2 players in particular from that era that really would have benefited, Kevin Garnett and Tracy McGrady. So I think those are 2 players whose legacies we should be re- looking at again uh, to think about how impactful they were how they had modern type games without quite getting all the way there so i wrote a piece about that i know that's not the most uh tease happy plug <laughs> simple plug but uh respect kg and tracer McGrady. i just wrote a piece there um and there, there'll be some newsletter stuff coming um actually the next thing that i'm work, kind of working through is i do like sort of these game diaries which is just here's what i'm noticing in a game and you you can see it too and i'm doing one on um because the WNBA season is starting on July 24th. And I think one of the big storylines is the return to health of Brianna Stewart and the Seattle storm. So I'm taking a look at a game from 2018, uh, where she was at her best and the stormer at her best. So I got that coming, you know, a couple other things and some other stuff, maybe in the long term future, uh, that I'm working through. Uh, but do check out the newsletter. I appreciate you plugging it. And, uh, yeah. Thanks so much for having me.
1: Yeah, that newsletter is awesome. You're doing such good work on it. Strong recommend to anybody who wants to go subscribe and get some in depth, awesome MBA analysis. Totally worth the subscription. And it's uh, you, you've always done great work. And it's 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 totally up well, to your thank you. Thank
0: you. This is great. Um, well, you too. And by the way, I was not counting super carefully, but I counted five likes, which because it
1: hard. was on my mind. Cause it was on my mind. That's why I think I was better with the likes during this episode.
0: Yeah. I mean, maybe you were, maybe I was just not really paying attention, but five is a pretty low number. Five is five is good. I'm fine with five.
1: Maybe, maybe this is my development. Maybe we're, while we're talking about everybody else's development, maybe this is like my development. Uh, (laughs) Subscribe to Wizards After Dark. If you enjoy the show, leave a review on iTunes. That always helps. Give us five stars. Subscribe to The Athletic. If, remember, if you use that code, you get 40% off on annual subscription, $36 for the year. Theathletic.com slash wizards after dark. Again, that's theathletic.com slash wizards after dark. Unless something crazy happens news wise the rest of this week, which I imagine it won't. The Wizards are already in Orlando and they're quarantining. So
0: what's going to happen other than NBA players tweeting out their terrible food? Um, I will be back. Wait, wait, before before we go, you do need to issue your mea culpa for blatantly getting the timing of the flight wrong yesterday. <laughs> like you really, I, I, this is very serious. Like, you know, I'm surprised we didn't lead with this. You're A right. Reporter can't I can't get things wrong like that. So I, I tweeted out the Washington wizards have touched down in Orlando yesterday
1: and my phone gets flooded with <laughs> people from the wizards being like, what are you talking about? Like, what are you talking about? We touched down in Orlando. We're, We're still in DC. And, and I saw that they had tweeted out everybody boarding the plane, but I, I just saw the pictures and I just saw people walk on the runway. I'm like, Oh, they're in Orlando. They landed. So I, I tweeted out the Washington wizards have touched down in Orlando and, and I get, and I get the tweets or I get the texts from people with the wizards. One person with the wizards immediately texts me fake news with four exclamation points. Wow. And like, yeah, yeah. It's hilarious. They were all giving me so much grief and so i had to tweet out a correction and delete the tweet and now everything i report from this point on will uh you know be
0: stained well look it's um it's a great lesson to young reporters you know sometimes you want to get the big scoop you (laughs) want to just kind of put it out before checking it you want to be the first on twitter but it's always more important to double check not everything is always as it seems let let friends grave error show you that it's true.
1: And just to, uh, pour salt into my wound, Zach Rosen, who runs social media for the wizards and runs all their accounts when the wizards landed and is in Orlando, when they landed, he tweeted out the Washington
0: wizards have touched down in Orlando. (laughs) So, so that really, that really stuck. Did did you check that? I mean, like he could (laughs) have just been making that up. what's the old saying about reporters if the if you say the sky is blue you have to call and check what's that saying
1: yeah i mean my my one of my journalism professors used to say if your mother tells you she loves you find a second
0: source yeah that's what i'm thinking of that was always badly off yeah that was it (laughs) if
1: you find if if they say the sky is blue go look at the sky
0: (laughs) maybe that's it yeah go 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 open a window That might be it Or maybe it was what you said, and i just looking out the window myself at the blue sky.
1: (laughs) All right. That's that's it. Uh, Follow Wizards After Dark. Follow Mike. Uh, So sign up for his newsletter. Subscribe to us. Uh, I'll be back next week. I'll talk to you guys then.